0: From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio. Fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. If you thought the gun grabbers had already used every trick in the book, think again, because they've come up with a new way to infringe your rights, this time using a merchant category code to track sales at gun stores. But what exactly is a merchant category code? How do they work? How could this sort of tracking be abused by the financial industry and government authorities? And who is behind this nefarious new scheme? That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Mark Olivia, Director of Public Affairs for the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. It's uh, it's always a
1: pleasure to be able to speak to your viewers and listeners, and uh, and uh, pleasure to be back with you once again.
0: So, Mark, what have you been up to recently?
1: Uh, recently, I've actually had the chance to go out to the Association of Greater Lakes Outdoor Riders and, and talk to a bunch of outdoor riders about some of the uh, threats to conservation. So, it was, uh, it was interesting. Most of the time, I spend uh, a lot of my time on policy communications talking to media that doesn't necessarily – uh, like the industry, uh, but uh, this was uh, an interesting break to be able to talk to folks that, uh, that believe in the work that we're doing. So it was, it was a real treat for me.
0: Well, I mean, do you have anything fun coming up like vacations or family stuff? Yeah. yeah.
1: So it's uh, it's hunting season, right? It's just starting a uh, hunting seasons and the weather's here where I live is uh, recently the temps have dropped and uh, we're starting to feel that uh, the Christmas starting to come back into the air. So I'm looking forward to being able to get out with my uh, my dog. I've got a chocolate lab named Bourbon, uh, and I'm looking forward to putting him back out in the field and see if we can't get on some pheasant. and uh, And I'm looking forward to uh, getting out with some buddies for some early goose and uh, and duck seasons coming up. and And of course, uh, you know, as the ever elusive chase for a lot of us. And uh, I'm still looking for that great whitetail that I need to put up on the wall. So
0: uh, we'll see what this fall brings. Yeah, I know with the temperatures. That's I. I you know, it seems to me that when we were kids the temperatures would change more gradually. Now it's like when it's summer, boom, it's 90 degrees. And when it's fall, like the other day, I went out with short sleeves and I go, man, it's it's chilly out here. It just seems to happen, you know, one day and then that's it, summer's over. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh,
1: it, it, I think we become a little more acute to quickly that clock is moving as we're getting older, don't we? Yeah,
0: it could just be uh, perception. So, Mark, I wanted to have you on the podcast specifically because – as you know, and you've been dealing with, the big story recently is all about the credit card companies tracking gun store purchases. And I wanted to have you on since you're the director of public affairs for the National Shooting Sports Foundation. So before we get started and talking about what is actually going on with the credit cards out there, tell us what the NSSF is. I think a lot of people are just not quite as familiar with you guys since you're on the industry side rather than on the uh, gun owner or the rights side of this
1: yeah so nssf is the national shooting sports foundation and we are the firearm industry trade association we represent uh, firearm manufacturers, ammunition manufacturers, distributors, retailers, ranges, and some endemic media. Uh, we are the trade association for all those, uh, those parts of the industry. Uh, we're like any other trade association, just like your automakers have a trade association, but we happen to represent those who manufacture, distribute, and sell firearms. Uh, I think that probably the easiest way for people to understand kind of the difference between uh, a group like us and a group like the NRA is we do everything to get that firearm to the gun counter. So we're making sure that the manufacturers are able to procure all the raw materials that they need to be able to produce the firearm, to be able to put it into the you know to the truck to ship it to to uh, the distribution centers. Distribution centers can send it off to the retailers. And once that gun crosses the gun counter, that's kind of where our job ends for the most part. And that's where a lot of uh, your Second Amendment rights groups like the NRA will take up and protect your gun rights as an individual owner. So, again, we represent the manufacturers, all the industry, where groups like the NRA and others uh, like
0: yourselves will represent gun owners. So that's kind of the big difference. Now, you guys are the ones behind the this huge shot show that happens out in Las Vegas, right?
1: Yeah, so we are the ones that put on Shot Show, and that's probably what most people recognize NSSF for. Uh, so it's uh, we're already uh, elbow deep into all the planning. I think registration is going to start opening up here for most people here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we start selling booth space for the show uh, before last year's show even sold, you know, is closed out. So uh, it's already been well into planning, and and we're looking forward to it. Uh, last year was the first year that we were able to uh, do the new expanded show floor. So we went from you know maxing out every square inch that we could in the Venetian Expo to now using that skybridge over to. Uh, to uh, Caesar's Forum, and and we've expanded that show over there, so we've nearly doubled the floor show size. And, and so, you really anybody who's coming back to Shot Show, and and I know some people didn't they make, make it out last year because of concerns about COVID. We had a you had the show, but you know attendance was down a little bit. We expected that to happen, uh, but man, it is a lot bigger. Is, so you definitely need to come into the show with a, with a game plan and and knowing who you want to see and who you want to talk to, and uh, and make sure that you got a set of comfortable shoes. It's a lot of walking, but uh, we're real excited to get the show back out this year and and back up to full attendance.
0: How does that compare to the NRA show? I mean, as far as size and number of people and all that, I mean, you guys are as big or bigger, aren't you? Uh, we're we're pretty big, so we're
1: we're probably one of the bigger trade shows that, that come out to Las Vegas. I, I can't speak for the NRA show. I haven't been. Uh, it's usually just happens to coincide with the time of the year that I'm usually a little too busy to get down. Uh, but uh, it is uh, it is one of the bigger trade shows that comes on to uh, to to Las Vegas. Uh, we come uh, that we are the next show that happens at the Venetian right after CES. Uh, CES is uh, much much bigger attendance usually, uh, a little bit bigger of an industry. Uh, but we are certainly uh, growing every square inch of of the of the available space that we can have out there. Before we expanded the show, Dean, I think the math had been done that if you tried to ever uh, visit every booth at SHOT Show, it would take you all four days, a maximum, I think, of like nine or 11 minutes at every every booth in order to hit every booth. Uh, now with the show expanded, I think that math is going to have to be uh, redone and people are going to have to think about their their plans again. But again, I warn everybody that's coming out to the show, You know, make sure that you're, you're planning for... Uh, a lot of time on your feet a lot of walking uh and and you really have a, a a plan set out for who you want to talk to and when you want to talk to him because it's just no way it's if you're like me and you get distracted by shiny bright objects when you're walking down the aisle and you're making that Christmas list for next year uh you could be spending a lot of time missing out on things you really need to do
0: yeah, I know when I go to the NRA show, it's just information overload. It's, it's like Christmas. You know, I'll I'll get out there and just get absolutely worn out. You know, my eyeballs are just too full of everything. So yep. I know exactly. And I'm going to have to – I've never been to the SHOT Show. And I used to live in Las Vegas. So I'm going to have to get out there. I've got a free Delta ticket, you know, hanging around. Yep. And I'm going to have to get out there. My sister lives there. So maybe it's time for a visit and uh yeah. perhaps you know, i can that, find a way to get into that shot show because yeah. it's an industry show it is right it is. so it's, maybe it's. you can facilitate my entry into that show mark well you're certainly qualified any uh, any media that uh, you know
1: covers the industry uh, can certainly credential in um and, and to kind of give you an idea media alone we average between 2500 and 3000 credentialed media that attend shot show so it's it's pretty busy and it's it's everybody from uh, you know, some of your big online names uh, that, that are producing uh, work out there. Breitbart is out there every year, uh, down to some of the smaller magazines that are local to, uh, to you know, someone's county up in the upper Midwest or up in the upper Northeast or, or down in Texas. So, you know, we we have them from all stripes and, and we welcome them in there. This is really where you get to see what the industry is going to be producing for the next year. So it's a great. It's a great opportunity to kind of see all those new products and all the new ideas that are that are hitting the streets.
0: So, Mark, let's get into credit cards and what's going on with credit card companies yeah. supposedly tracking gun store purchases. Now, you know, for years, gun control groups, along with like minds in banking and media, have been lobbying financial institutions to assign gun stores a special code to track sales. And supposedly this idea... Is all about spotting gun trafficking and suspicious buying activity so that they can, they say, stop mass murders and violent crime and all of that. But can you just explain what a merchant category code is? Because, you know, I look at my visa bill and I don't see merchant category codes on there. This is not something I think a lot of people have heard of. What is a merchant category code? Yeah. So it's,
1: it's really a great question. I think a lot of people are being awakened as to, as to how uh, credit card companies and, and how the banks are uh, tracking our information and how we use our credit cards uh, to, you know, buy the things that we want to buy every day. Uh, dependent upon the store where you go to, the, co- the, the credit card companies will assign a code uh, to that uh, particular uh, store, if you will. So depending on what type of store it is, uh, that will, that will determine the code. So if you're looking at, uh, you're going to use your credit card at a gas station, that's going to be a different code. If you're going to use your credit card at target to buy groceries and, and, you know, a pair of socks that you need, that's going to be a different code. Uh, and so they're able to track by category, uh, of what kind of store you're shopping at, uh, what your general purpose is. Um, Up until this point, firearm stores uh, had been always listed as sporting goods. That would have been the same as if you had walked into any sporting goods store and bought a soccer ball or you bought a new baseball bat or or a pair of cleats for your kids. Uh, That code would be the same as if you went to your local mom and pop retailer or your big box retailer and bought yourself a a new shotgun and a box of shells and you put that on your credit card. Um, Certain stores like... um, like drugstores will have sometimes two different codes assigned to those stores. So there'll be a code that's assigned if you're going to use the front end of that drugstore to buy, you know, a a pint of ice cream, uh, you know, some some shampoo, uh, you know, some soap and and uh, and a a pack of gum on the way out the door. That will be a different merchant category code than if you're going to go back and you're going to buy uh, your prescriptions with your credit card at the at the pharmacy. Now, that will all be a different code. Um, so this is kind of some of the things that we're hitting now with with this decision by the uh, International Standards Organization uh, that has decided to set these codes for the credit card
0: companies that are going to be specific to firearm retailers. And, so. and how are these codes used? I mean, or is this like rewards programs, for example? Because I know I have a card where I'll get 4% cash back if I buy a certain kind of gas, and I'll get 2% if I go to a certain kind of restaurant. Yeah, it could be used for those,
1: and and that that would certainly be a benefit to you as a consumer. Um, but what they're also used is is for um, and some of the proposals for this was that if the if there's are suspicious purchases, that they could be uh, turned over to the U.S. Treasuries. Uh, Financial Crimes Network uh, and for Financial Crimes Enforcement folks, and and that could be turned over and turned to the FBI for further investigation, and that comes into play especially when you're talking about like the credit when you're talking about using credit cards at uh, pharmacies for people who may be abusing prescription drugs uh, or maybe doing fraudulent purchases that 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 could be something where it comes into effect when you're looking at uh, possibility of crimes. Now the application to the firearm retailer is now if you're talking to mom and pop retailer. That's probably going to apply to every purchase that they make because there's only going to be one counter that they're selling the purchase from. But it will possibly be split when you're talking about a big box retail. If you walk into an academy or you walk into a Cabela's or Bass Pro shop and you want to go in and you want to buy a new sleeping bag and you want to buy, uh, you know, boots and, and, and you got to get yourself a new set of waiters. And, and of course, when you get, you know, start of, of waterfowl season, so you got to get the latest and greatest decoys and calls and you check out at the front counter, that may be a different code. But if you take that all back to the gun counter, because while you're there, you also want to buy yourself a new shotgun and a flat of uh, bismuth ammo, which we know is is not inexpensive right there in itself. The uh, you know, and, and let's be honest, some of us hunters can we can we can run up a, a bill at a Cabela's or Bass Pro Shop pretty quickly. Uh, so all of a sudden now, it could be that you're making that purchase at the gun counter for the gun, the ammo, the waders, the decoys, and everything else that you want to get, and that tab could run up to say. Well, it may be reported by that credit card company that Mark doesn't make a $5,000 purchase very often. And I would tell you that that's probably pretty rare for me to do, uh, but say I do this purchase and they see this blip on on the on, on my purchase history that all of a sudden I made a five thousand dollar purchase. So they want to take a look at that to make sure it's not a fraudulent purpose. They pull up that code and they see that it's now one of these new codes for uh, for firearm retailers. Well, they become concerned. Well, well, maybe this could be something where like they're talking about. They want to use this information to possibly. Uh, stop somebody from committing a horrific crime like we saw in Uvalde or Buffalo. And and they were on report that information over to the FBI. Now, again, the only thing that the credit card company knows is that a purchase was made on on one of their credit cards uh, for, say, $5,000, and it was made at the gun store. They don't know that it was necessarily me. Uh, They just know that this was made. And so they report that information over to the FBI. Again, they don't know what's in the basket. They don't know what I bought. All they know is that it was an X amount of dollars. Uh, they don't know that there was, you know, a, you know, five sets of decoys and it wasn't, you know, a couple sets of waiters and, and one shotgun that maybe cost $800. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they report that information to the FBI. Well, now if the FBI is investigating, they have the ability to subpoena that information to go into further investigations. And that's where it becomes a little bit scary because it puts you and I on a government watch list simply for exercising our second amendment rights for ability to purchase a gun
0: yeah mark and this is i mean i'm thinking for example you know let's say that i open a gun store you never know i might do that we're going to call it dean's gun world and of course dean's gun world is is a destination location mark and you're going to be my first customer you show up and you're going to spend ten thousand dollars And so $10,000 is going to show up on the credit card as as Dean's Gun World. It's going to have this code on it. But what did you buy? Did you buy $10,000 worth of ammo because you're going to commit mass murder? Or did you buy $10,000 worth of optics, camping gear, clothes, and all this stuff because you've booked a safari? Or is it $10,000 on a gun safe? Because, Mark, I know you want the best. So you got this investigation on this $10,000. Aren't a lot of people who— aren't doing anything wrong, going to get caught up in investigations? How many of these kind of investigations are going to turn up actual fraudulent activity?
1: Yeah, and, and that's that's a concern, Dean. There's, there's two edges to that, and I think people need to understand one is One is casting a very big net uh, for, for a very small target, um, and it's, uh, it's probably not the best way to go about doing it because, one, it's, it's sacrificing your privacy, my privacy, uh, to be able to make a lawful purchase and exercise our rights. Now, again, we're not asking anyone to be put on a watch list when they exercise their First Amendment freedoms to produce this podcast that you're producing. The government should not be putting you on a, on a watch list to do that. You go to the church that, uh, or the synagogue or the mosque of your choice to, to worship your God in the manner you see fit, you're not going to be put on a watch list. Uh, you're not going to be put on a watch list for redress against your government. That's your First Amendment right. Uh, you also have you know, rights against illegal search and seizure. Now, again, if we're outsourcing this, to a private entity, which can then be turned back over to government authorities, there are concerns about illegal search and seizure. There are concerns about privacy rights. Uh, but on the other end of that, like you said, if someone's coming in to buy $10,000 worth of optics and gear and everything else that they need and it's being coded as a sale at a firearm store, well, that's not useful information to law enforcement if they're trying to stop someone tr- from you know committing a horrendous crime. That's junk data. And what it's doing is putting all this junk data in the laps of law enforcement. So instead of concentrating on the things that they may need to concentrate on to stop some of these horrific uh, acts from happening, now they're going to have to be sifting through the fact that Mark bought a bunch of sleeping bags and waiters, and they're not going to understand that that's not I'm not the target they need to be going after. And if we look at some of these incidents that have happened, like Evaldi and Buffalo, and even though we look at the, at the horrific Parkland shooting, uh, we look at these incidents, there were certainly uh, – points of reference where law enforcement or citizens could have been involved 43 different times either state local uh federal authorities or school officials could have intervened to stop that parkland murder from murdering those children in that school murdering those adults in that school the uvalde incident there were certainly flags online where it were individuals could have reported that individual to to others. He had made threats of rape and harm to fellow students that he was going to shoot up a school that his friends literally called him the school shooter. But no one acted on that. No one reported him on that. If we look at Buffalo, the, his own family, that for that murder in Edison, his own family had actually taken that firearm away. And he had been investigated by New York State Police, but he had never been brought before a judge to have a red flag uh, law put on him or had brought in front of a judge for them to declare him mentally incompetent, which would have made him a prohibited individual. That had never happened. So there were tools that were in place that law enforcement was not using. Uh, and again, we look back at the Parkinson's. Parkland, uh, two times the, the murder in the Parkland incident had been referred to the FBI and the FBI had admitted they failed. To act upon those tips, which could have stopped that horrendous mass murder from happening. We start looking at lumping all this other data that is going to include you and I on the lawful purchases that may have nothing to do with a firearm. It's junk data that's all it's going to do is clog up the system for law enforcement.
0: Okay. All right. This is junk data. But then how, you know, taking it a step further, how could it actually be abused? Because I'm having trouble believing And we're going to talk about who's really behind this in a minute, but I'm having trouble believing that the the motivation here was really about catching criminals. Because, as you say, there are all kinds of laws, all kinds of ways people can catch criminals. What's really going on here? What kind of abuse could be done with this kind of data when people are looking at our gun purchases specifically?
1: Yeah. So Dean, I think it's probably a good time to take that step back and let's talk about who, the, who some of the mind was behind this. This is an idea that was actually proposed back in 2018 by Andrew Ross Sorkin. Andrew Ross Sorkin is a, is a columnist for the New York Times. And the time, the article he wrote at the time was a proposal for credit card companies to actually deny you and I the ability to use their credit cards to purchase a firearm. Now at the time when he did that it was dismissed by all the credit card companies. The major credit card companies said they didn't want anything to do with this. As long as that you and I were making a lawful purchase that they they didn't want to be in the middle of it because they could see that it would grow and beyond something like you know we're gonna stop people from their ability to exercise their Second Amendment rights and, and buy a gun or buy firearms because they just didn't happen to like that right. That was a, a politically disfavored right by by certain individuals. Well where does it stop? Because the next one will be well we're not gonna allow you to purchase gasoline with your with our credit cards because we want you to switch to an electric vehicle or we're not gonna allow you to purchase you know red meat and beef because we think you should be vegan based on a vegan diet. So the the virtue signaling never stops and, and they didn't want to become part of that. But Andrew Ross Sorkin continued to work on this issue and continued to push on this issue. And it started to gain steam this year. Uh, This idea had been uh, not only proposed by Andrew Ross Sorkin, but it also been proposed to the ISO, the International Standards Organization that sets the standards for these in Switzerland, by Amalgamated Bank. Now, Amalgamated Bank is a woke bank. They are a bank that refuses to do business with anybody in the firearm industry, but they are very happy to do all the banking for the D- Democratic National Committee. They also do all the banking for the DCCC. They also do banking for Hillary Clinton Super PAC. They also do banking for, for, for Senator Warren Super PAC. So they're very happy to take up all these liberal causes and bank those issues. Uh, and they had proposed this idea to the, to the ISO, uh, last year and had been, it had been rejected. Uh, they brought the idea again to the ISO for this year, and it was rejected. Now, interestingly, the same day it was rejected, it was repealed up to the next level. The next level uh, the next level at the ISO said, we're going to go ahead and approve this because no one has put forth an argument to say why it shouldn't be
0: done. And, and Mark, let's just stop here, and I want to explain – I want you to explain what the ISO is. This is the International Organization for Standardization, Yeah, and I'll bet nobody – listening to this podcast has has heard of that. I have because I've worked with some manufacturing organizations when I ran a marketing business. Everything in the world, everything they're doing with business has to be standardized one way or another. And it's not just business, it's scientific research and everything else. Can you explain what the ISO is and what they do?
1: Yeah, they are the international standard-setting organization. They're based in Switzerland. It is it is every country is working with them, and I think if some people are going to try and look at it uh, in in some kind of similar terms, it it would be kind of similar on a business level to what we also do with ballistics within the firearm industry. Now, there's a the the small arms ammunition manufacturing institute sets all the standards when it comes to ballistics. They're the ones that will set the standards to say this is what uh, two. Uh, 270 Winchester round is. You know, all those all those measurements that go into it. They're going to be the ones who are going to say this is what a 6.5 Creedmoor actually is. So whenever someone wants to produce a 6.5 Creedmoor round, it has to meet those standards. Well, the same thing on the business side. The International uh, Organization for Standardization Men Switzerland is the one who sets all these business standards. So we're all working on the same idea when we're doing international business. Sounds great on a, on a, on a business uh, scale. Uh, Where it becomes problematic, particularly for us now, is now you're looking at outsourcing some of these ideas when it comes to our personal commerce and our personal privacy and our exercising of our second amendment rights through business practices uh, is now being, uh, is now being turfed out, if you will, out to an international organization. Uh, so you're pushing that beyond the borders of the United States to someone who may not have this, our same ideals. And that's exactly what Amalgamated Bank did. Amalgamated Bank knew that they were going to push this idea literally the same day they proposed it and it was rejected for the second year in a row. They appealed that decision and went up to the next level for ISO. ISO looked around and said, well, no one is uh, no one is rejecting this, and which happened to be on a Friday afternoon. Uh, and they went ahead and they slapped the table, said, yep, we're good with it. And we're going to set it down. Uh, very quickly thereafter, uh, credit card companies have all come out now, sent letters to uh, senators saying that they uh, that they did not ask for this, they did they did not seek it, and that they will do everything they can to safeguard the ability for you and I to be able to use their their credit cards to purchase their ID, purchase the, our products that we want to, as long as it's a lawful product. Um, again some of the idea behind this again going back to andrew ross sorkin was eventually that enough pressure would be built up that credit card companies would say you can't use our credit cards to buy guns period um, that is still the stated goal of this idea credit card companies are backed off of this and saying hey we, you know we don't set the standards we have to adhere to the standards uh, but you know we we don't think that this is a, a road that we want to go down the credit card companies if they wanted to could simply not enforce these standards are voluntary standards no one has no one there's no international law that says that they have to do this uh they can simply tell the iso that this is a bridge too far and they refuse to set that standard and and make every firearm sale at a, at a gun store still listed as sporting goods uh they don't have to do this and i think that's probably what you saw a lot of the 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 hubbub about this week when you had a lot of these banking and credit card ceos on capitol hill both in the house and in the senate facing a lot of heat from uh, from Republican lawmakers asking where exactly this is going.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it seems to me like, again, this wasn't coming from the credit card companies. They're no. sort of being used as pawns or tools by activists who want this sort of thing to happen. And, and, you know, this is not the first time we've seen the financial industry used for anti-Second Amendment ends. I mean – We've seen, you know, like Citigroup back in uh, 2018, no longer doing business with certain types of gun makers. PayPal, they didn't want to do purchases of the guns or gun paraphernalia. Bank of America decided to not do business with companies that sold so-called military-style rifles. And and we've seen other things in the financial industry. Gun stores and others, uh, ammo manufacturers and so on, they have a hard time getting credit they have a hard time getting insurance. This is not the first time that the financial industry has been used as a tool by activists, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a two-edged thing here when we're talking about the financial industry. Uh, the credit card companies were certainly drug into this. They did not ask to be part of this. They did not advocate one way or the other for it. They simply asked to be left alone, uh, and the activists dragged them into this. Now, I think it's important to understand the banking industry, has certainly put, taken a side on this, and they've taken a side a long time ago. Uh, so your 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 banking giants, to include Citigroup, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Wells Fargo, have all taken uh, policies on gun control, where they refuse to do business with uh, fire manufacturers, retailers, distributors, anybody in the business, based on certain ideas. Um, So that could be simply as uh, Bank of America doesn't want to do business with anybody that makes uh, a modern sporting rifle or an AR-15. Uh, JP Morgan Chase wants to make sure that uh, if you're going to sell magazines to anybody, that those magazines are ten rounds or less, uh, and they want you as a as a company within the industry to support a policy of not selling a firearm to anyone under the age of 21, which of course would be a violation of somebody's uh, Second Amendment freedoms. When you're 18, you are an American citizen, fully vested in all your
0: rights, uh, and that includes your Second Amendment right. So, um, now, now, do you think that those kind of things are? Primarily political, or are they just thinking we're gonna get sued? So you know what, guys, we're just we're just not gonna get involved in this. They're absolutely
1: political. And we've got testimony. There was testimony this past week, both in the House and the Senate, on it. Uh, we've seen testimony prior to this. Uh, we have actually worked. Uh, we had a bill passed in, in in Texas called the Find Act, the Financial Industry, uh, the Firearm Industry Non Discrimination Act, which basically said if you're going to hold a a contract with a with a public entity in Texas, whether that be the state or a local municipality you could not hold a discriminatory policy against the firearm industry. Basically, you couldn't profit off of taxpayer dollars and then turn around and use that money to try to extinguish the Second Amendment rights of Texans. Uh, That law was passed and signed. It was signed into law by, by Governor Abbott. Uh, and uh, required those banks to go back and certify and say that we do not have discriminatory policies. Well, interestingly, uh, there was a lot of hubbub about it, saying that you know this is going to cost you know, you know millions of dollars in, in taxpayer fees uh, because of the be loss of of market value, market share to these companies. Uh, the local banks in Texas were very happy to to sit out. and They said that this is not a fight that they had. They didn't have a dog in this fight. That they'd be happy to continue to service contracts, you know, that they could compete for. Uh, and now we're She keep Texas dollars in Texas instead of saying it's Wall Street. But we did see that Citigroup uh, certified. We did see that Bank of America certified. And most recently, just about a week ago or so, JPMorgan Chase finally certified. So they're all saying that they don't hold discriminatory policies Yet they still do. You can go onto their website and you can see today that they still have these discriminatory policies. They still refuse to do business with folks in the industry. Now, again, these are all banks that took our bailout money back in 2008 to the tunes of hundreds of billions of dollars to keep them afloat. They were very happy to take it from you and I. They're very happy to take the tax money that's been paid by the industry, and to keep themselves, uh, you know, solvent and and having to, uh, you know, be able to stay in business. But now they want to be able to turn around and tell those taxpayers which rights that they are comfortable with them exercising and which ones they aren't. Uh, so again, we we see this as a little bit of a duplicity on this, and that's why we have been working with legislators to push uh, the Fair Access to Banking Act to to push uh, some of these laws or these uh, legislative proposals that would uh, keep them from uh, discriminating against the firearm industry uh unfortunately what we're seeing in texas is that while these companies have been able to certify with the state uh we have raised these issues to the attorney general's office and it's up to the attorney general to enforce the law of course and we see that these uh, these companies are now in violation because their letters of certification saying that they don't have discriminatory policies are in fact false so we're we're awaiting some action from the attorney general's office in texas to, to start to enforce that law these similar laws have also been proposed in several other states, and, we'll, and we've got similar laws that are in effect in Georgia and Wyoming, uh, but not quite to the to the strength and the level that uh, Texas's law is. So, uh, we will continue to push this in in those states and try to make sure that we have protections for the fire industry, and that that includes everyone from. From, you know, Dean's Gun World to, to Bass Pro Shops and, and their ability to sell their guns as well. We want to make sure that everyone is being able to access the, fu- the financial capital that they are and that, that your risks are based on your credit worthiness, not the industry that you're in.
0: Now, we have a bill here in Ohio, too, the FIND Act. It's something we've been mm-hmm. working with uh, with your lobbyist here in Ohio. Are you saying that you think that the FIND Act is the solution to this problem, the tracking problem?
1: Uh, the Find Act isn't necessarily the solution to the tracking problem. I think the Find Act is going to be the solution to the discrimination problem. The the the, the uh, I think that there are going to be needing other uh, solutions when it comes to this for uh, lawmakers to protect uh your privacy and my privacy and our ability to exercise your Second Amendment rights with the use of credit cards. Now I will tell you, I have heard from local retailers uh, colloquially that they have already said that they're going to simply just put an ATM back in their store. Uh, many of these locations may have had in previous. I know I've talked to a couple of retailers that said they took the ATMs out of their stores years ago, but they're going to put them back in there now to make sure that they can provide the option to their customers that should they want to come in and buy some ammunition, but they don't want that to be on their credit card, that they can do so uh, by just simply withdrawing some AT- drawing some money from their account and being able to make that purchase in cash. Cash is still king. And again, we need to realize if we're looking to track criminals trying to do these kinds of things, Criminals aren't dealing with credit cards when they're buying their guns. The FBI's uh, Bureau of Justice Statistics shows us that over 90 percent of uh, felons convicted in, the, in their crimes when they have used a firearm obtain those firearms illegally. And that's either through buying it from the black market on the street corner or stealing it. So they're not using their credit cards. Again, this whole push behind uh, you know putting the pressure on the financial industry and putting the pressure on the credit card companies that didn't want to be part of this fight is, is to eventually get to the point where they can continue to apply enough pressure and say, well, you just can't use credit cards to do that because we don't like that right. And again, it's not just the credit card companies. This had the backing of New York state governor. This had the backing of of Democratic attorneys general. This had the backing of New York state lawmakers. This had the backing of of Democratic senators to include Senator Warren. All sent letters to the ISO demanding that they
0: create this code specific to firearm and ammunition uh, retailers. So, Mark, I want to spend just a minute here because, again, this is very complex. You're saying that it's mostly the banks that are participating in this, not necessarily the credit card companies. If you take out your credit card, I have a Visa card, I turn it around in really small type, it's going to tell me the bank that backs that credit card. So the bank and the credit card network, like the Visa network or the MasterCard network, they're not the same thing, right? You have a bank that fronts the money. If I'm, if you're going to go to Dean's Gun World and you're going to buy that $10,000 safe, somebody's putting the money up for that. That's a bank. That transaction is going through the Visa network, and there are a lot of other entities involved, including the company that actually does the swiping of that credit card. So it's not just one big thing. This is a bunch of different entities involved in this transaction, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. So
1: uh, you, you talked about it could be backed by one of these big banks like Citigroup or Bank of America or, or JPMorgan Chase. Uh, me, my, my credit cards are through my credit union. Uh, As far as I can tell, my credit union has not taken a position on these, but these credit card companies are being being backed by these banks. And the credit card companies and the banks are not necessarily always one and the same entity. So uh, your Visa or your MasterCard may come from a credit union. Your credit union may not care about where it is, or you may have a local regional bank that has nothing to do with this and doesn't want to be part of this. Uh, But your credit card may be a Chase Visa MasterCard that you're dealing with. It could be a Bank of America Visa that you're dealing with. And then you are dealing with this kind of issue on two levels. Now you're dealing with a bank that that is working against the industry, actively working against the industry. And now you're dealing with a credit card company that has been drug into this and being forced by this international organization to assign
0: this code to every time you purchase. So if uh, someone were to come up with some legislation to deal with this problem, and very often that's the way you have to do it. Yeah. If it's not the FIND Act, specifically, how do you intercede in something like this and prevent these tracking codes from being used in a way that would harm gun owners?
1: Yeah, so I think it's important that these these financial entities uh, are uh, subject to pretty strict scrutiny by the federal government. So I think if you watch some of the hearings this past week, uh, both in the House and the Senate, uh, you know, they were certainly expressing their pleasure and they were making it very clear that they have full expectation that at least the House will flip back Republican and that uh, they will be dragged out to Capitol Hill to answer questions uh, up there. Senator Toomey uh, is the ranking member on the House Financial Services Committee. And, uh, and he made it very clear to the, to the banking giants that, um, that if they do not step back from abusing their ability to uh, to affect the markets and affect uh, private commerce, then they, were, they are risking being turned into a public utility. And that means they will no longer control their assets, that they will be under government control, which I don't think anybody wants. I think that if you've seen how Congress works when it comes to uh, financial uh, services, when it comes to the banking industry, they really do try to have a hands-off uh, because they don't want America's uh, you know, private business and America's private transactions to become subject to control of the federal government. But what we're seeing is now is that you're having someone put their thumb on the scale from outside the government to be able to tell them what rights you can exercise and which ones you can't. So I think if we're going to be looking at any kind of legislation that may be coming up, I think we'll probably be looking at legislation that would uh, deny the ability – For uh, the credit card companies to be able to put this code into effect in inside the United States of America, and that uh, if they did, then they would probably be facing some kind of penalty to do that.
0: Now, would that be done at the federal level or at the state level? How how are financial yeah. institutions? So it's,
1: it's interesting. I think it could happen at both. So I think if you're looking at uh, where some of these banking giants are and you're looking at where these credit card processing companies are, they are in some very interesting districts. So Congressman lutemeyer has been uh, has been very, uh, you know, deep into these issues when it comes to financial discrimination against the firemen. So if you look back to the history of Operation Chokepoint, he was the one who was dragging the, the FDIC and dragging the attorney general and dragging uh, these banks up into Capitol Hill to make them answer on you know, Operation Choke Point and, and how that was an illegal procedure by the, by the Obama administration. Uh, and in uh, his district, of course, there is a lot of payment processing that is happening through there. So could it be something that he could affect in Congress? Certainly. Could it also be something that since those payment processes are in his state district, uh, that those state lawmakers could take that up and certainly could weigh in on that? They absolutely could. And I think if we look at where some of these banks are associated with, where their headquarters are, where they do a lot of their business, when you're talking North Dakota, South Dakota, you're talking uh, some of these other states where, where maybe you're going to start to get a little bit harder to look by some of the governors and those state legislatures. Uh, I think that the, there are laws that could be put into place at both the state and the federal level.
0: So, Mark, how would people support the National Shooting Sports Foundation? I know we run uh, your articles frequently. Can people join? Can people uh, subscribe to a newsletter? Uh, how, uh, can they uh, support you in some other way? Yeah, so certainly, if if there's someone who's a member, because
1: we're a trade association, we, we can, you can become part of the association or the foundation, rather, if you're if you're within the industry. So if you are a, a business owner, you are somewhere uh, dealing with firearms or fire manufacturing or firearm distribution or or the retail, uh, you're certainly eligible to join the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Uh, but because we're we're a trade association, it is not open for the general public to become members. Uh, we we have to be a little bit restricted. Than that uh, certainly anybody can always keep up on what's happening in the industry we try to we try to keep our our new section uh, our media section pretty up to date as to what's happening both in uh, on in capitol hill and in congress as well as what's happening in the states uh, we try to make sure we keep that out. We we try to push that information out to those. And we're really appreciative of folks like yourselves, Dean, who do uh, pick up a lot of those articles and reprint them for uh, for your own audience. Uh, so certainly we ask people to stay tuned on that. Um, but more importantly, when people are concerned, they need to start to reach out to the lawmakers. And I think the first and foremost thing is, is November 8th is around the corner. We're under 60 days now. Uh, and I think people need to make sure they're registered to vote, know where to vote, know when to vote, and then start to look at those candidates in front of them, whether that be their their sitting member of, of Congress or their sitting member of, of the Senate uh, and start to look at where they are on the issues and what's important to them. And, and, and as we have in our gun vote campaign our voter education campaigns we try to remind people don't risk your rights and understand what's at stake when you walk into that voting booth and you get to, you get your opportunity to pull the lever fill out that uh, fill out that ballot and cast your vote that you're making sure that you're protecting your ability to exercise your rights and and part of that is our, our ability as an industry to be able to produce the firearms that you want to buy
0: well mark thanks for taking the time to talk to us and explain what's going on with credit cards keep up the good work Thanks. I appreciate it, Ding. Y'all be safe. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at buckeyefirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.